Jake Furtanen faces his accuser in court. What the former Vancouver Canucks said on the stand at his sexual assault trial. Hot weather worries. We're a few days out probably right now. It's a good time to be thinking about planning. What to expect and how to prepare for our next heat warning. And cooling off BC real estate. Three weeks after we moved in, there was a sewer backup. The province takes a big step to prevent buyer's remorse with first-of-its-kind protection. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Former Vancouver Canuck Jake Vertanen took the stand today at his sexual assault trial. As Kamal Karmali reports, Vertanen told the court he believes the woman was a willing participant in their sexual encounter. In a move many did not expect, defense counsel called former Canucks forward Jake Vertanen to the stand. Vertanen testified about the night they met, saying it was at a bar tent outside a club called Cowboys. He said he'd been drinking, having just broken up with his girlfriend. Vertanen says he was with friends when the complainant and one or two other women approached them. He says he believes they knew they were hockey players. It seems like they came to our group and they were talking to us and showed us a little bit of interest. Vertanen says they kept in touch. Once he was back in Vancouver, he messaged her on Instagram. He testified he suggested she visit him in Vancouver. Vertanen says that in September 2017, she eventually contacted him, telling him that she was in town for a photo shoot and to visit some friends. He says he was staying at the Westin Hotel and he went to pick her up. The complainant has testified she did not know they were going back to his hotel. I told her about a minute before we got there. Were you initially withholding it? No. Did she raise any concerns? No. Vertanen testified that the complainant did not show any indication that she did not want to come to the hotel room. He claims she sat on the bed beside him and that both had initiated the kissing. And she did not pull away from him when he started touching her. He testified she lifted up her arms when he attempted to pull off her shirt and lifted her hips when he pulled off her pants. When he asked how he knew the sex was consensual, he said she was active and she was an enthusiastic participant and you know, and absolutely felt like she was into it. For me, it was obvious she wanted to have sex. He said it was years later he got a call from his agent, breaking down into tears on the stand. Vertanen said, my agent texted me and said he needed to talk to me immediately. I was in utter disbelief. Meanwhile, the complainant was on the stand earlier in the day. Defense counsel asked her if she felt sympathy for Vertanen after he received threatening messages. After her allegations, she said... I don't like him for what he did, but I don't want to wish violence upon him. I didn't want to see him hurt, but I wanted to see him penalized. But at the same time, he didn't skip a beat when he violated me. Not even a thought, not even how you're doing. He just went ahead. He heard me say no and went ahead. The day ended with Vertanen in tears on the stand. The judge then ended the proceedings. Crown will now begin its cross-examination Friday. Kamal Karamali, Global News. The public was barred from entering a part of Chilliwack for much of the day today as RCMP investigated a shooting that injured two people. Ahmad Agahi is live in the area with the details in Ahmad. For a time, area residents were being told to stay indoors. 
Yeah, serious incident uh, indeed. Now, I have been able to speak to the Chilliwack RCMP since arriving on scene here, and they've told me the integrated homicide investigation team has been called into the scene. We are standing just east of the city's downtown. The police behind us that you see are blocking off about a road of traffic in uh, an effort to secure the area for those uh, forensic guidance teams and homicide investigators to arrive here. Now, uh, earlier today, particular attention was focused focused on one of the homes behind me. This shooting happening in what we believe around 11 a.m. today. That is when uh, we know the first emergency calls were made uh, this morning to a home on McNaught Road near Yale Road. Now, four ground ambulances and one air ambulance responded to the scene, taking away two people to hospital. One victim, we're told, was in critical condition. Unconfirmed reports are that there may be a third victim. And again, we uh, can tell you that this is now a homicide investigation. Earlier this, uh, in the past hour, we caught up with a neighbor of the home involved. We weren't told much. We were just told to stay inside our house. Um, we had police dogs searching our backyard and the neighbor's yards. Yeah. Um, they came and took my video surveillance camera information. Now, we are standing by on more information coming from the police, hopefully uh, later this evening. You mentioned this incident got serious enough where police advised people to stay away from the area and stay indoors. And at this moment, all indications are that the suspect may still be at large. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much. That's Ahmad Aghahi reporting live for us tonight. Thanks, Ahmad. Transit police are hoping surveillance video of a random attack on a bus in Vancouver will help locate the suspect. A warning, some people might find this video upsetting. According to police, a woman was sitting on a bus traveling north on Main Street on June 20th at around 7.30 in the evening when a man she didn't know boarded and sat several seats away. When the bus left, the man stood up and approached the woman aggressively. The woman went to let the driver know what was happening and the man followed her. And then without provocation, he punched her several times, causing her to fall. Transit investigators hope someone will recognize the man. So the victim in this incident, she did all the right things. She created space between herself and the suspect. Um, she asked the bus operator for help um, and someone called 911 for her. So all of the steps were met in terms of safety. Uh, and unfortunately, she, she still got assaulted. So that is why we're appealing to the public to help identify this man. The driver pulled the bus over immediately and the suspect got off at Main and 64th. Fortunately, the woman didn't suffer any major injuries. A big fire at an auto recycler in Surrey was pretty tough to miss this morning. Flames were spotted in the 107, sorry, 10700 block of 120th Street, not far from the Scott Road SkyTrain station. It sent a thick black plume of smoke into the air. 16 firefighters responded and got the flames under control within minutes. No one was hurt, thankfully, and the cause of the fire is still under investigation. The B.C. government has ordered a coroner's inquest into the death of two people in a fire at the Winters Hotel in April. Marianne Garlow and Dennis Gay were killed when fire ripped through the single-room occupancy hotel in Gastown on April 11th. Five other people were hurt. Fire inv investigators think unattended candles on the second floor of the building sparked the blaze. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says the inquest will make recommendations that could help prevent fires in similar SRO buildings in the future and prevent further deaths.
Well, after a slow start to the summer, it looks like the heat is finally on NBC. A heat wave is expected in the coming week, prompting a reminder to take some precautions. Especially for those who are vulnerable to heat. BC Wildfire is also on alert, monitoring for any new fires that may ignite. Richard Zussman has more. A province heating up. It's my mom's first time to the island, so it's great that we have good weather for her. Just come to the beach a bit and just enjoy it. The mercury set to rise after months of cooler than normal temperatures. On Wednesday, an expected high of 27 in Vancouver. In Victoria, 30 degrees. 33 in Prince George, in Kelowna, 36, and Kamloops, 39. The worry is government hasn't done enough to prevent the system from boiling over in the heat. Let's not, by any means, underestimate what's coming this weekend. To say that it's less than last year, it's also significantly more than we would typically see in the summer, and so we need to prepare for it. The province reminding people in the heat wave it will be cooler by the water. If you are out and about, make sure you drink lots of liquids. And ask for help if you feel dizzy or nauseous or feel your heart rate going up. And finally, ensure you dress appropriately. The important things to be doing are getting a fan if you don't have one, uh, getting portable air conditioning if you can for your home making sure you know where to follow information about the weather. The warm weather may be perfect for the beach, but is far from ideal for the forests as things continue to dry out, although a lack of lightning in the forecast could help. While the fuels become more available over the next two weeks, we may not see increased number of fires uh, or any fires if we don't get ignitions. The wildfire service will be increasing patrols in an attempt to avoid human-caused fires. And for those still at home, there are still rules in place for some strata buildings preventing people from even putting in an air conditioner. And in British Columbia, you know, the amount of, of folks that died unnecessarily during our last heat dome was like 12 times worse than our neighboring Washington state per capita. Making air conditioners and heat pumps more available, funding them 100%, making them part of medical equipment for people who are disabled and medically complex. Many communities will be considering cooling stations for the heat, so as temperatures do soar, British Columbians aren't on a wild goose chase looking for help. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in uh, meteorologist Yvonne Shell to talk more about when we're likely to see the peak of the coming heat. Yvonne? So if it's really going to be as we get in towards next week, but a heads up, it's still going to be hot leading in towards the weekend. Temperatures well above what we would typically see. And it's all courtesy of this ridge. And the peak of it and some of the hottest days will likely be Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week, where areas away from the water for Metro Vancouver will be into the low 30s. Those are the numbers that we're tracking. So Wednesday could potentially be one of the hottest that we're anticipating. And areas into the interior. Also a heads up where the potential mid and upper 30s we could be pushing closer to 40 degrees. A big concern so be prepared. It'll be hot leading in towards the weekend but some of the hottest temperatures are as we get into midweek next week and still continuing to see the heat towards the end of the month. So all right thanks for that Yvonne. BC becomes the first jurisdiction in Canada to bring in a real estate cool off period. New rules that could give buyers three days to back out but there is a catch. We'll have full details for you next on the News Hour. An ultra marathoner completes what Terry Fox couldn't. His record run across the country later. And how a childhood fascination with policing led this little boy to a dream job as an adult. That's coming up later, too.
Right now, though, B.C. is set to become the first province to bring in a mandatory cooling off period for real estate transactions. It's to protect buyers in a superheated market, giving them three business days to change their mind and back out of an agreed sale. Unfortunately, it comes too late for some buyers who got burned. Aaron MacArthur reports. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Elaine Spilos is the example no one wants to set. Her and her husband purchased a home in 2017 without conditions, without an inspection. A dream home that quickly became a nightmare. Three weeks after we moved in, there was a sewer backup that damaged the suite. Thousands of dollars worth of damage. Nine months later, a second sewer backup with the same extent of damage. Changes have been in the works for years to help home buyers from rushing into decisions. The BC government has finally taken an additional step. Home buyers will be granted three days in which they can back out of a deal for any reason. The mandatory grace period will allow for inspections to be conducted, financing to be sorted out. The move comes on the recommendation of the BC Financial Services Authority and is well supported by the home inspection industry. Once again, British Columbia will lead the country in protecting home buyers by providing them with the right to exercise due diligence before purchasing a home. The cooling off period was first floated in May, and the policy won't be implemented until January 1st next year, which comes too late for this cycle of astronomical price increases and superheated seller's market. The Bank of Canada essentially stamped out any speculation with four consecutive interest rate hikes this year. The BC government now focused on the next upturn. It will be some time before we see a return to balance. We also know from experience that the real estate market can fluctuate and can have moments of volatility, and we need to be prepared. The legislation will also have limited protection for sellers. A quarter of a percent fee will be charged to a prospective buyer if they back out of a deal during this three-day window. $2,500 to a seller on a $1 million home. There are recommendations from the BC FSA that haven't been acted on yet. The finance minister promising to monitor the results of this change and add more consumer protection if needed. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Another truck has hit an overpass in Metro Vancouver. It happened this afternoon on Highway 99 at the 112th Street overpass. A trucker pulling an excavator on a trailer hit the bridge and there was minor damage done to the overpass. The right lane was closed for a time with police planning to clear the scene this afternoon. Commercial vehicle inspectors are piecing together just what went wrong here. It's the ninth time a truck has hit an overpass in Metro Vancouver this year. Restart the counter. All right, just ahead, Vancouver takes on big oil. This is a symbolic gesture. It's not a lot of money if you break it down per capita. Reaction to the city spending nearly $700,000 to back a lawsuit over climate change. And stranded on an island, why some residents who rely on BC ferries believe their lives are at stake. Good evening. Crews are still on scene to a garbage truck that was on fire much earlier this afternoon. But Stewartson Way is still completely blocked in between 12th Street and 3rd Avenue. So traffic is absolutely gridlocked coming off of the Queensboro Bridge. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish was in Global One, high above a problem in New Westminster. 
Join Global News July 21st to 24th for daily coverage of the 2022 BC Summer Games from Prince George. Spirit lives here. Global BC is proud to partner with the BC Summer Games. A lot of chatter about a vote at Vancouver City Council last night, which went in favor of taking on big oil. Spending about a dollar a resident, that's around $700,000, on financing a class action lawsuit aimed at getting oil companies to pay for city costs incurred by climate change. Quite a story. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, the city has a host of problems many residents mm-hmm. feel should be higher priorities. Crime, drug addiction, yep. homelessness, and they have some thoughts on this move. What are you hearing? Yeah, certainly. Every time a government spends a tax dollar on something that's unusual, it's always framed on what that tax dollar could have been spent on otherwise. So Vancouver City Council facing a host of problems. It looks like every other city council has downtown crime, which we feature on the news hour every night. Last night, councillors wrestling with issues like that. Where does fighting climate change and taking on big oil fit in against things like making streets safer, taking on the opioid crisis, dealing with affordability and inflation? It's an interesting debate. Went down to the wire of six to five vote in favor with Mayor Kennedy, Stuart Cassidy, the deciding vote. We're going to hear from one of the councillors who opposed it, Sarah Kirby Young, and also Adrian Carr, the Green councillor who moved the motion, saying Vancouver is just simply the first in what's going to be a number of municipalities. And UBC Poli Prof Max Cameron says the new reality is climate change has to basically vie for attention and priorities against so many other issues that are out there facing governments at all levels. Here's the three of them. And my concern in, in doing that is council having discipline around moving the climate issues forward, but still also trying to be responsive to affordability, as opposed to just adding every time for the initiative when we actually have a a fund or a source dedicated that we could have taken this from. I I believe we might be the first, Um, but there are other other municipalities, I believe it's Victoria, for example, and uh, and there may be others within Metro, I think there are others within Metro Vancouver, at least one other, um, that have indicated interest in this. Um, So um, um, I think already there there is a, um, um, it's clear that Vancouver would not be alone. We're facing um, rising prices, uh, unprecedented uh, inflation, at least in comparison with recent years. Um, we're seeing high gas prices, people facing real problems of, of, of affordability. It's a, a kind of a global conversation. How do we keep attention to climate change at a moment when people are feeling that there are actually a lot of other priorities? And perhaps for some of uh, some people, for many voters, that those priorities are greater at this point than trying to stick it to big oil. Now, don't be surprised if this vote and this issue doesn't come up in the looming municipal election campaign this fall, because it's not binding on the future council. The council that is elected in October will have this final say on whether or not $660,000 is spent in this fashion. It was a close vote last night, six to five. I have a feeling it'll be a close vote no matter who forms the next council, which means it could be a subject of debate come the fall. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. All right. Residents of Quadra Island say they're worried about being stranded on the island during a medical emergency at night. As Kylie Stanton reports, they say it started with BC Ferry staffing issues. Anyone who's ever been in line to catch a ferry knows this is the worst feeling. But those who live on the smaller islands like Quadra have found ways to work around it. I have to be here very early in the morning and I have to leave before noon 
or else. Or have come to accept the odd delay. You're obviously sitting here for a sailing wait or sometimes two. You know, I expect to be in a ferry lineup and I don't mind. Um, where it becomes a concern is where it's threatening people's lives. Currently, the 2,700-plus residents of Quadra Island have no access to emergency medical care between the hours of 10.30 at night and 6.15 in the morning. The off-hours emergency ferry service that's been transporting ambulances when required for the past 40 years is no longer running. And so I took up the reins and, and started a petition. With more than 1,000 signatures and counting, it's calling on BC Ferries to work with BC Emergency Health Services to immediately reinstate what's being called an essential service. We've had uh, patients sitting in the ferry parking lot in the ambulance um, waiting until the first ferry to get to emergency. The ferry ride between Quadra Island and Campbell River is just 10 minutes. Even with time for loading and unloading, a patient could reach the hospital in less than half an hour. BC Ferries did not respond to our request for comment, but residents say crewing the vessel is the issue. and They believe there are solutions. During the time that the ambulance has, has been dispatched, they can have a person over from Campbell River and on the vessel ready to sail. According to BCEHS, if the ferry service isn't available, the only options are air ambulance, a water taxi, or as a last resort, the Coast Guard. But for many living here, that's simply not good enough. We are having people say, why would I live on an island where I can't get to a hospital? People are starting to move off for that reason, and that reason alone. Abram has met with the board of BC Ferries and BCHS and is expecting an update sometime next week. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, sometimes it's hard to compete with Mother Nature, even for the legendary snowbirds. The Royal Canadian Air Force Snowbirds Aerobatics team was in Terrace on Wednesday to perform at the Northwest Regional Air Show, their first stop there in more than two decades. Global viewer Renita Nays caught some of the performance with the team flying in formation. And just as she pans away from the performance, a pair of eagles fly into frame with their own synchronized aerobatic show. Pretty spectacular performances by both. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Just ahead, a place where time stands still. We work hard to keep it the same. The living history of BC's Flying U Ranch, later. And why hundreds of bikers rolled through the Toronto area. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Traffic is moving well in both directions. Just some minor congestion southbound at the Steveston Merge. When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex Insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex Insurance today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Uh, just a quick warning about the video in our next story. It may be upsetting for some viewers. A man caught on surveillance cameras allegedly assaulting a mom and toddler and wanted on a province-wide arrest warrant is now in custody. The footage released yesterday by VPD shows a group of people standing on East Pender near Gore when a mother and her toddler 
are suddenly struck hard from behind by a shirtless man who comes running down the street. The man has now been identified as 27-year-old Shaquan Kelly, and he was arrested this morning in Chinatown. VPD say they're still investigating Kelly's alleged involvement in a number of other criminal offenses that took place that same morning in the downtown east side and in Chinatown. A funeral was held today for Reputaman Singh Malik. The 75-year-old was shot to death outside his business in the Newton area of Surrey last Thursday. Police have released surveillance footage of the suspects arriving in a white Honda CRV that morning. That vehicle found on fire a few blocks away after the shooting. Malik was a well-known businessman in the community who founded the Khalsa Credit Union and Khalsa School in Surrey. He was charged and acquitted in the 1985 Air India bombing that killed 331 people. IHIT is still investigating his murder. Hundreds of members of the Hells Angels and associated outlaw biker gangs rode into Toronto today, causing traffic disruptions and stopping people in their tracks. Global's Catherine McDonald has the reason behind the bikers gathering and the varied reaction from the community. Hundreds of motorcycle gang members rolled down Highway 404 and onto the Don Valley Parkway just after 11 a.m. Half an hour later, Hells Angels and their associates from across Canada roared onto Carlaw Avenue and gathered in front of this property with signage outside St. Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, Toronto Chapter. You never see anybody going into that store. I think it's a French, you know. Families came to see while others took photos as dozens of police officers quietly watched the bikers from afar, ensuring public safety at what was labeled earlier this week by police an unsanctioned event. A memorial ride from Newmarket to Toronto, culminating with a gathering here. Some could be seen wearing armbands and t-shirts bearing the name of the late Toronto Hells Angels chapter president, Donnie Peterson, who died last December. Uh, it's in memory of Donnie, Donnie Peterson. He's a great guy, renowned around the world. He's Some onlookers say they felt no threat. When they were here in this neighborhood, there was a lot less crime. Maybe they're a criminal organization, but they protected their own neighborhood. Others watched as officers from the RCMP, Toronto Police and Quebec came to gather intelligence of this well-known organized criminal organization associated with drug trafficking, illegal gambling, prostitution, firearms offenses and other acts of violence. It's terrible, but again, they're part of our society. What do we do? We can't shut them out. They always try to look peaceful and they say they are peaceful, but they aren't. These tourists from Germany could not believe that this was allowed, saying it's nothing they would expect to see in a country like ours. Very, very surprised to see it because it wouldn't be possible in Germany uh, to have a, I don't know how you call it, congregation like this uh, openly on the street because they're not allowed to wear their collars and not to have clubhouses or to show their presence. The convoy of bikers is now moving on to Durham region for the annual Canada run. Is there going to be any anything people should be concerned about this weekend? With? Absolutely not. Why? I, nothing's going on. Police there vow they are also committed to the safety and security of the community. They are one percenters. The one percent of motorcycle riders who believe that they live outside of the law. Catherine McDonald, Global News. We are seeing a dip in hospitalizations over the past week when looking at, looking at our COVID-19 numbers. We have 406 people in hospital. That's down 20. 30 of those patients are in the ICU, a drop of four. 21 more people have died from complications of the virus. And we have 1,044 new confirmed cases over the last week. Coming up, a dream fulfilled. 
It's been a dream. It's been a goal of mine since I was very young. He was just a child when he told Global News he wanted to join the police. Now, 13 years later, he's getting his wish. Also tonight, are you brave enough to try the Skybender? Our first look at Playland's new ride. Thrill seekers heading to Playland have a new ride to test out. I don't know why, but I just feel like I would not do well in this ride. The, <laughs> I'm with you. the Skybender is the newest ride at Playland at the PNE, and it is officially up and running now. It was uh, Italian designed and is believed to be the fastest single rider ride in Canada. Those who are brave enough to try it out will sit through a combination of gravity, drops, and accelerations. It travels at approximately 65 kilometers an hour, so it's one of the fastest rides in the park. And it's an individual rider experience, which for ride enthusiasts is always uh, considered a premium experience. So it's, a, it's an exciting addition to our ride uh, roster here at Playland. The Skybender ride cost $2.7 million. It also kind of reminds me of a spider, so... Don't that's, like that that's either. a straight nope. <laughs> Not interested. The gravity drops and accelerations I think I could handle. It's the spinning. The spinning, I just can't do it. Just don't have cotton candy beforehand. <laughs> Dog. Yeah, bad memories, bad yeah. memories. All right, Yvonne is here now. Uh, beautiful day to be outside doing basically anything. Yeah, it's gorgeous out there. The summer heat is on, but be prepared. It's going to get even hotter, especially as we get in towards the latter half of the weekend and leading in towards next week. So a heads up, uh, we are going to see those temperatures soaring. We're sitting at 22. We've got a southwesterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. Some of the numbers that we're still seeing when you factor in the Humidex, especially even for Metro Vancouver, 22 with the Humidex, though, at 27. That's for areas closer to the water and areas away from the water with the Humidex feeling into the low 30s. A few other spots across the province, we've seen highs up to 35 for Lytton, Kamloops at 34, hot one for Trail and similar for areas near Kelowna with highs up to 34, touch cooler though for Tofino at 16. Here's what we're tracking though for Metro Vancouver. Overnight tonight we may actually have some cloud cover in the mix. We'll see it for tomorrow morning and then with the sunshine through the afternoon, highs between 22 away from the water, 26. The Humidex once again getting us into the low 30s. So the blip in the forecast will be along coastal areas, especially for the northern and central regions and along the south coast a bit of cloud cover will be in the mix, but it still remains dry. It'll be hot and dry for most areas across the province, but here's what we're also tracking. Late afternoon and early evening for the southeastern corners, a very slight chance to see an isolated shower or even the risk of a thunderstorm, so heads up across that region. Once again, the temperature trend, I just wanted to put this into context as well. In comparison to what we were tracking last year with the heat dome, temperatures away from the water are getting into closer to 40 degrees. We'll still see that heat. Be prepared, and it's midweek that we'll see the peak of it for the interior though we will see those temperatures getting close to 40 degrees and heat warnings will come into effect likely as we get past the weekend. Now drizzle across the northern half of the province for coastal areas a bit of instability for the southeastern corners and much of the south coast however cloud cover in the mix and then it dissipates the sunshine and the heat is on as we get in towards the weekend. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday those are the days to keep in mind with some of the hottest temperatures away from the water into the low 30s. Tonight's weather window Great shot that was captured from Crescent Beach last night, and this one was taken by April. Guys? Gorgeous. Thank you, Yvonne. Really nice. Okay.
What do we got now? Before we go to Squire, Before we go to Squire. Yes, a surprise announcement today at the Vancouver Police Department, and our camera crew was there to capture it. As Catherine Urquhart explains, the little boy's dream finally came true 13 years after we first introduced you to him. It was 2009 when we told you about Amon Jawana, who used to be a little bit scared of police. Yeah, I was a little bit. Because I thought that, because I used to be scared because some of my parents used to tell me uh, if you like stare at the police a lot and you're like walking around them and looking all suspicious that you're going to get caught and they're going to take you. Then the 10-year-old and his brother constructed a police vehicle and gifted it to Officer Terry Parmar and his partner. We have two police people here. One's a lady, one's a guy. And the guy, the lady is driving the guy as a passenger. And we put a little bit of details in here. That interaction prompted Amon's interest in policing, and the two stayed in touch. And they just come over here. Fast forward 13 years, and 23-year-old Amon just received news he'd been hoping for from his longtime mentor. Tell you something. Okay. I know you've worked really hard for this yeah. for the past, I don't know how long it's been, but we're going to hire you. Oh. <laughs> it's been a goal of mine since I was very young. Um, probably since nine or eight or nine years old when I met Terry the first time. Amon's new job with VPD, special municipal constable. Let me be the first executive member to give you a, one of our VPD challenge coins. Thank you so much. And really proud Thank you. that you're joining our organization and you're going to continue proud that mentorship for other generations. This freshly hired officer was always clear about wanting to be on the right side of the law. Good guys, because they do good things. A little boy's positive brush with the law many years ago. For us, my brother and I, just to kind of see that the police aren't the bad guys and they're actually very nice and they won't arrest us just for showing up and, you know, talking to them. All right, right, yeah. A driving force behind his choice to pursue a career in policing. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. So cute. Love it mm -hmm. when you see a story come full circle like that. Uh, awesome stuff. Okay, let's bring Squire in now and a look ahead to sports. Yes, the BC Lions are home tonight at BC Place Stadium. They can't open the roof, though. Mechanical issues. Uh, Hamilton's in town, but uh, the Lions are looking to get back on track after a mistake-filled loss in their last game against Winnipeg. We've learned from them. We've, uh, we've grown and we've gotten better, and it was good to have the week to kind of have that marinate a little bit. Yes, Nathan Rourke and the Lions have to stay away from these type of errors. The tie Cats might be one and four, but they can still bite you if you mess up. Also tonight, Western Time Warp, the BC ranch that likes to say it's four hours ahead and 100 years behind. An ultra-marathoner from Alberta has just smashed the all-time record for running across Canada. A very exhausted and emotional Dave Proctor arrived at Mile Zero in Victoria this afternoon to the cheers of friends and family, completing the run he started 68 days ago. 
Wow, that beats the old record for running across the country, which was 72 days. Proctor averaged more than 100 kilometers per day to set the new record. He says he tried as best he could to stick to the original route of Terry Fox, who, of course, tried to run across the country before being stopped by cancer. I feel like I'm on top of the world, but I'm feeling so blessed to have this opportunity and grateful. I've just seen the most beautiful country in the world, and I suggest every Canadian to go do the very same thing. And don't run it, you know, get in a vehicle and drive it or go see a part of the country you haven't seen. But I just feel... Like, if I could do that, I could do bloody well anything. He's not wrong about that. This was Proctor's second attempt. His first in 2018 ended when he developed back problems. He says this time he stopped at every bakery across the country eating cinnamon buns and scones and still lost about 18 pounds. But he says he's looking forward to a salad tomorrow. He deserved every one of those cinnamon buns. I'd have a burger. <laughs> yes, no doubt. All right, I think the Lions would be happy with 100 yards tonight if they get that instead of, what, 100 kilometers a day. Mm -hmm. 110 yards. Yeah, yeah right. 110. CFL. Mm -hmm. uh, the BC Lions are getting ready to play Hamilton at BC Place. It'll start very soon. As we said, they couldn't open the roof tonight. There's some sort of mechanical issue. Uh, whatever the case, the Lions haven't played in almost two weeks, and the last time they did play, they got... Pretty soundly defeated by Winnipeg. Now, the Bombers were favored to win that game. They're the two-time Grey Cup champions. Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke does have 12 touchdowns thrown in his first four games this year, but he's also thrown four interceptions in his last two. So teams are beginning to adjust to both Rourke and the Lions. Now, to counter that, the Lions have to adjust to everybody's adjustments. You can't make as many mistakes as we as we did against uh, good teams like that championship team. We got another championship quality team this year. The Thai Cats were in the uh, Great Cup last two years, last two seasons, and um, and uh, so we can't afford to make those type of mistakes. And we've learned from them. We've uh, we've grown and we've gotten better. And it was good to have the week to kind of have that marinate a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and seeing how the guys uh, rebound. Starting on Saturday, the Whitecaps have three games in seven days where they have to stay in the MLS playoff race and also win the Canadian championship as well. The Canadian title, which will be played against Toronto, gives Vancouver, if it wins, not only a trophy, and who doesn't want a trophy, they would also get a spot in next year's CONCACAF Champions League tournament. But they want to win the league games as well, so expect a lot of lineup juggling by Vanny next week. The Whitecaps are going to need a true team effort over the next few days. They have two important matches ahead, an MLS battle against Chicago Saturday, and then just three days later, the Canadian Championship match against Toronto FC. The Caps will need to tap into the depth on their roster, possibly using up to 18 players over the two games. At least they don't have to travel. Both matches are at BC Place, where they've lost just twice all season. Tuesday is very important, and, and you're right, it's, it's the most important game, Tuesday, okay? But it's very important Saturday too, because at the end, uh, I think that the playoff race will be decided with one, two or three points, and a win Saturday maybe at the end of the season can mean that uh, we are in the playoffs. So it's final number one on Saturday and final number two on Tuesday. 
Bolstering the Whitecaps' attack is newcomer Julian Gressel. He will make his debut Saturday versus Chicago after a crash course on doing things the Whitecaps' way this week. We are throwing a lot of information at him because of new tactics, new way of uh, uh, interpreting his position. So with me, no, here in, when the ball is here, you have to do this. When the ball is here, you have to do this. So it was a little bit. But uh, it's going to be better for him to to start immediately the game instead of uh, getting in into the game because he can start when the when everything is settled down and we and can get in more in the in the tactics and in the way of playing that we do. So I gave you a hint if it starts or not. <laughs> Former CFL Commissioner and Hall of Famer Doug Mitchell died today at the age of 82. He ran the CFL from 84 to 88 and he was a huge figure in Canadian sports. He played football at UBC, briefly played football for the BC Lions. He helped a lot of amateur sports organizations over the years. In fact, he was a key builder for UBC Sports Center, which of course is named in honor of Doug Mitchell. The Arizona Cardinals have made Kyler Murray the second highest paid player in the NFL with a five-year, $230.5 million deal. His yearly average will be $46.1 million, surpassed only by the 50.3 million the Packers pay Aaron Rodgers every year. He is a double threat, can run and pass in his first three NFL seasons. 70 touchdown passes, 20 touchdown runs. No quarterback in history had that kind of a start to his career. Two ducks who are out to see birdies and eagles and maybe an albatross. It's the 3M championship in Minnesota. Adam Hadwin is there. That's a birdie putt on the 18th. Shot three under 68. He's tied for eighth. Roger Sloan of Merritt was minus one. Nick Taylor even. Adam Svensson plus two. Scott Piercy and Sanjay Im are tied for the lead at six under par. LPGA has the Evian Championship, one of their majors, and a great start in round one for Brooke Henderson. Gets a birdie putt to go here. Watch this eagle putt to finish off her round. She's at seven under par. That is only one shot off the lead of Ayaka Faru of Japan. There you go. All right, thank you very much, Squire. Up next, 100 years at BC's Flying U Ranch and why they aren't messing with success. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. And Armstrong standing by now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, we are keeping an eye on that shooting in Chilliwack. At least two people shot, possibly three. One of them taken away in critical condition. We expect the homicide team will have some sort of update this evening. Lots of police remain in the area of McNaught Road near Yale Road, with nearby residents told to stay indoors. Plus, an exciting night in Prince George as the B.C. Summer Games begin. More than 2,200 young athletes are there. And so is our Jay Janor coverage of the opening ceremony on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Jordan. All right. Now, the iconic Flying U Ranch near 70 Mile House is still thriving a century after becoming a guest ranch. And while other businesses have had to adapt to survive, the Flying U has managed to stay popular by never changing. Jay Durant checks it out on This is BC. Good luck finding a thriving business that hasn't undergone some sort of transformation over the years. The model is much different at the Flying U Ranch, where nobody embraces change. Some people say, well, what are we going to do with the future of the ranch? Well, I think the future of the ranch is trying to keep it. We work hard to keep it the same. For 100 years, they've kept it very simple at this ranch in the South Caribou. Horses, trails, 
log cabins. It's living history. It's the way it used to be. And the culture is the same way. What began as the site of a trading post in 1849 became a cattle ranch in the late 19th century, before it was launched as a guest ranch in 1922 by a larger-than-life character named Jack Boyd. He built this up on rodeos, and they used to have, in 1927, I think they had the big one. It was world-renowned. It was bigger than, than the anything else around. It was a showcase for a Western lifestyle and it came with all kinds of tales and folklore. There's some stories that the Flying U actually may have been lost in a card game. Those traditions continue to this day. Supper at six o'clock sharp, followed by square dancing and of course a visit to the saloon. The legacy of the Flying U is the history of Western Canada, all tied up in one living, uh, breathing place. The fire pit will need a little maintenance, a new porch swing might be installed, but not much else will change at the Flying U, a place that takes great pride in being behind by a century. There have people been on this this land and doing the same things we're doing for over a hundred years, and and you can you feel it. Jay Durant, ah! Global News. Yeehaw. Was that Jay doing the yeehaw? I'm not sure. <laughs> it was him yodeling. Could have been. He's an excellent yodeler. Hey, as always, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Jay probably is a good yodeler, mm-hmm. actually. Not bad. Yeah. Okay. At certain hours of the night. Yeah, the later ones. <laughs> later ones. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Yvonne, uh, the temperature is rising, the heat wave is coming. Yes, uh, summer is coming in hot. Uh, we'll see those temperatures soaring. It'll be hot throughout the week then, keep that in mind. But even hotter as we get in towards next week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, likely the peak of the heat. Away from the water, we're going to see those temperatures into the low 30s. So be prepared. We've got the heat over the next little while, and likely even lasting towards the end of the month as well. Oh, boy. That well, is... That is hot. There's a rumor that they're going to get the Kitts Beach Pool open, too, hopefully sooner rather than later. Be good timing. Mm -hmm. Be good timing, wouldn't it, in the middle of that? All right, we'll keep you updated on that. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great evening. Good night, all.